you for joining me at the Gettysburg Connection podcast. I'm Chuck Stangor, publisher of The Connection. The Gettysburg Connection podcast allows you to hear stories directly from the source and allows us to dive with you deeper into featured topics that are important to our community. Every year, the Adams County Public Defender's Office helps thousands of people defend themselves in our criminal justice system. The office works with people of all ages, including juveniles and those who are currently incarcerated, frequently throwing them a much-needed lifeline at a time of crisis. The office is currently headed by the chief public defender, Kristen Rice. As Rice prepares for her retirement on December 31st, she took some time out of her busy schedule to tell us about the work that she and her staff does about her daily schedule, and how she deals with people who are facing threats to their liberty. I learned a lot about the criminal justice system, including the pervasive importance of mental health problems the office faces. If you like the Gettysburg Connection podcast, I hope you'll subscribe to it on your device. So let's get started. Hi, Kristen, and uh, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Hi, Chuck. It's really nice that you came in to see me in one of my last days here in the county. Right. You're on your way out. You're leaving on uh, December 31st to uh, move on to a a new career or return to a career, I guess. I'm going to return part-time to my private office that I set up with my husband in 1986, and it's called Wolf Rice and Quinn, and it's just right around the corner. So I'm still going to be pretty much parking the same place every day and having lunch with the same people, et cetera. I'm just no longer going to be employed by the county. Yeah, that's great. Um, So I wanted to ask you about uh, your career, basically. We were just talking a minute ago about how much you loved working for the county. Uh, And uh, how did you end up where you are as the uh, chief public defender in the county? All right, well... um, I guess it goes back to my childhood in a way. Um, My sister, Gudrun, is 17 years older than I am. And she went to law school at Denver University in 1970. And she was among the first class that admitted women. And that's why she went to Denver U, because they were really sort of reaching out to women. So by the time I was 13 years old, my sister was already a lawyer. And my four older brothers had all started going into the fruit business, Rice Fruit Company. But it just occurred to me at that point that, you know, oh, I guess guess boys grow fruit and women go to (laughs) law school. So it was a very easy decision for me. Right after college, I went to law school. And while I was in law school, I met my husband, John Wolfe, and we decided to open a practice here in Gettysburg. And we did so in 1986. And I practiced with him privately, took a bit of a sabbatical to raise my three boys, and then came back to work, and I was needed a lot by the county, by the court, 
to do court-appointed cases for indigent defendants that the public defender's office couldn't represent because of a conflict of interest. For instance, we never represent co-defendants. So I started building up this practice, you know, to the point that half my caseload was court appointments. And I found that doing this work for indigent clients was much more fulfilling than just sort of being out there in the marketplace. I felt like I wasn't constrained by, you know, asking them for money to go to trial. I wasn't constrained from bringing in experts if I needed them, like psychologists. And I felt like I could really make a difference in their lives. So in 2003, Jeff Cook was public defender and an opening came here in the office for a full-time assistant public defender, and I was like, I'm going over there. And so I've been here for, well, I'm in my 20th year. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Well, it's really, uh, it's such an important job that you have, and I think many people don't really know a lot about what what you do. I mean, I think conceptually they probably know, but what's your day like? What are the things that uh, that you, you have to do on a daily basis as part of your job? Well, as chief public defender, I supervise the staff here, and there are four full-time attorneys, a paralegal, and two legal secretaries. We represent people um, whose income, whose household income is at 150% of the federal poverty level, and we represent everyone who's incarcerated, regardless of their income. I mean, obviously, people who are incarcerated are free to get private counsel, but they automatically qualify for a public defender. We actually have a public defender act in our Pennsylvania statutes, which sets up the position and tells us what our duties are. So essentially, we step in wherever there's a threat to one's liberty. And therefore, we don't handle traffic tickets or summary citations like disorderly conduct because people aren't ordinarily going to go to jail for those. But if someone is charged with a misdemeanor or a felony, then they will be entitled to representation if they qualify financially. So we start at the very beginning of the criminal process, which is um, the preliminary hearing. So every Wednesday is Central Court Day, and all four of us will be out at the Human Services Building representing people in preliminary hearings. And then... Each of us, when we represent a client, we take them all the way through the system to sentencing and then appeal if necessary. So we have set days every month where we go up and represent people in arraignment, in um, pleas. We have trials, both judge trials and jury trials. 
And we also handle a lot of revocations, which is where people are revoked from probation or parole for violating some condition for, for, of their sentence. So on a given day, one of us might represent 20 to 30 people on a given court day. Not on central court day so much where we actually have hearings, but I have certainly gone up to plea day or arraignment and sentencing day or revocation day with 25 files yeah, well, in my arms. So it's busy because you have a lot of people <coughs> to help and not a lot of people to help them. We open um, a thousand new files every year, and that does not include revocations where we reopen files. Mm -hmm. And we also represent any juvenile who is um, brought into the system with a petition for juvenile delinquency. And we have one attorney, Christian DeFilippo, who exclusive, well, he, he is our only attorney right now that does the juvenile work. And it's a great fit for him, but it, the juvenile system is a bit different in that you don't have um, jury trials, any fact-finding is done by the judge, and the cases are often revisited to see you know, how the juveniles are mm -hmm. faring in their probation or their mm -hmm. supervision. So it sounds like it's a stressful job and a busy one, but it sounds like it's also been very rewarding for you. It's been incredibly rewarding. Um, seriously, these last 20 years, I told the commissioners in my um, letter that I was leaving that other than raising my family with my husband, this has been the most gratifying experience of my career, or of my life, really. Mm -hmm. And so what are the things that, uh, are there particular cases or people that you remember, you know, maybe not by name necessarily, but where you feel like you really made a difference and it was very rewarding? Particularly um, rewarding? Yes. I love it when I go to some place like Walmart or the dollar store and someone comes up and hugs me and says, I'm three years sober, you're an angel, I will always be you know, grateful to you. I mean, wow. what, what could yeah. make someone happier? No yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. One case that really sticks with me in terms of a difference that I made was that I represented a young man who had come here to the United States when he was nine months old from Mexico. And he lived in Biglerville. And I think he was 18 or 19. I think he was still a student at um, Biglerville High School. And he had been caught for a second time with marijuana. And all of a sudden, the ICE, you know, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, became interested in deporting him because 
one thing that they frown hugely upon is any criminal case dealing with controlled substances. So here is an ordinary boy that seems American in every way, has lived his whole life here, and suddenly he's facing deportation. So his immigration attorney called me and said, is there any way you could get rid of that second possession for um, marijuana conviction because it's going to be devastating for him in immigration court? So this is one case where I worked collaboratively with our district attorney, Brian Sinnott. I explained to him that this boy was facing absolute banishment from everything he had ever known, you know, a complete exile because of two incidences with marijuana. Mm -hmm. And Brian agreed with me to um, let him go back into court and withdraw the second plea. And I think he ended up pleading to a disorderly conduct or something. I had not represented him in the earlier cases. And the family came into me just crying and crying that their son had been saved from exile from the family. And, you know, that that was one of my sweetest moments. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, and I'm sure that's multiplied <clears throat> many times across all the people that you work with. I hope so. Yeah. Um, you said that uh, the the county has a, a thousand new files. The public defender's the public office. Defender, defender's the office. The district attorney's office would have more cases coming in. Right. But that's our portion. Yeah, no matter what, it's a lot of people that are going through our criminal justice system in the county, and I know that's very expensive in terms of the number of people who need to work on it and in terms of the cost per taxpayer. I think it's the biggest thing that we pay for as taxpayers is uh, our criminal justice system. Um, do you have thoughts about how we're doing in the county with criminal justice? And are there ways that we might do better to try to keep more people out, out of the system? The thing that I would really like to see happen and it is happening, um, is for more people to be diverted from the criminal justice system when they come in due to a mental health episode. So over the years, I've had cases where people might have assaulted um, an ambulance driver when they're being picked up because of a suicide attempt or um, situations in which, like, they might call 911 to report demonic warfare and then they're charged with, you know, unlawfully calling 911. And so there are situations, or, or actually most frequently, are the situations when there's an assault 
often on family members by men or women who are in some sort of psychotic state. So they're de facto mentally ill. And if we had um, people in the system who are trained at that point to divert them to mental health resources and keep them out of the criminal justice system, that is what is really needed. We do have that going on. Um, Aurora Hollebach is the probation officer um, that is involved in crisis intervention training, and I know that she hopes that every police officer in Adams County will go through it. But if we could keep them out at that critical stage where they engage with law enforcement, um, that would be terrific because the prison should not be in the business really of administering mental health care. But they are, and they do a good job, but you know that's really not their line of work. But the problem with this ideal is that we have so few psychiatric resources in Adams County. So if, if you're taken to the hospital and you're 302 which is a involuntary commitment because you're an immediate danger to yourself or others. You go to Hanover or you go to York. I mean, we don't have any psychiatric beds in, in Gettysburg or in Adams County. Um, and then essentially people just get adjusted, um, you know, maybe three, five days in there and they've gotten some sort of psychiatric medication that stabilized them, but then they're right back out in the community. And I feel like what we really need is more mental health resources where people can go for longer to really get, you know, a combination of medication and therapy so that when they come out, they really are capable of living um, independently and without further interaction with the criminal justice system. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that's really pretty remarkable. Over the past years, I've been thinking about this a lot, and uh, I think I knew that, you know, certainly the criminal justice system was in part a mental health system because people who commit crimes often also have mental health issues. But I don't think I had realized the extent to which the system in, in a way replaces maybe what we used to have as uh, <clears throat> mental institutions. People were sent to mental institutions and now they're mostly living at home and, and on the street. And <clears throat> they're not really criminals in, in any way. Right. There but was they a, end up in yeah. this system and in this jail, which is really kind of not where they need to be. There was a huge move in the 70s to get people out of state hospitals and psychiatric hospitals 
and to incorporate them back into society, which I think was laudable, but unfortunately the resources didn't come with it to replace those psychiatric beds. And right now, say for instance, I have a client, a a defendant, go to Adams County Prison, and they aren't even competent to stand trial. In Pennsylvania, competence means that you're able to meaningfully assist in your defense. And a lot of times, I will have clients that you know, maybe because of schizophrenia, maybe because of manic bipolar disorder, they simply aren't able to assist or even really to understand what's happening. So the typical procedure would be that I would have a competency evaluation And if the defendant is determined to be incompetent, the district attorney's office can either agree or they can oppose that and get their own psychiatrist, but that doesn't happen that often. So their case stops. It's just frozen until they go to a state hospital and are either restored to competency or there's a determination made that they can't be restored to competency. If that happens, the bed wait time to get into a state hospital, we use torrents, is several months. So we might have someone who is incompetent to stand trial or to move forward with the case who's then waiting at Adams County for months to get into a bed at Torrance. Mm -hmm. So if we can keep them out of jail, out of the system, at that initial point of contact, you know, that would be my hope for the future. Right. Yeah, that's a a big problem. I know that in the county, you know, there were COVID funds that came and, uh, and a lot of that went to broadband and I think, or, or, or some of it will, and I think there's, it's easy with broadband to count up the number of homes that have service and the number who don't and say, well, we made some progress on broadband, but you can't, it's so hard to do the same thing with mental health because the, uh, the problems are so deep and it takes so long. And I think it's harder to put a number on it, but it's so important. And I, I think we both agree we need to work on the county, work with the county to try to, to help Yes. Everybody do do better with the, and me- with the, the mental state. health crisis and the state. And with the state. Right. Yeah. It's a bigger problem and one that's really difficult to know even how to begin. I know. I just read in the New York Times on Sunday that um, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, has instituted certain changes to deal with the mentally ill homeless population. And it's just a scratch of the surface. Exactly. Yeah, we're not the only ones dealing with it, that's for sure. No, we aren't. And I have to give credit to Adams County Adult Correctional Complex. Um, They have a mental health clinician 
from Prime Care, and um, they do use a psychiatrist from Prime Care that often the attention that inmates get is the first real mental health mm-hmm. care they've gotten. Mm-hmm. And I think the warden is very um, aware of the mental health issues and enlightened. And I think that a lot of people have come to Adams County Adult Correctional Center and gotten the first treatment that they've ever gotten and it has made a, a tremendous difference in their life. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I talk to parents who are sick about the fact that their son who's maybe schizophrenic um, and in his early 20s or something, they're sick about the fact that their son is in prison, but they're also so relieved that they know that he's safe and mm-hmm. that he's getting mm-hmm. the medicine that he needs. Yeah. yeah, I know they're doing a good job at the at the jail. They are. The warden is great. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, is there anything else that you would like to say to people about you or your career or about the criminal justice system? Oh, we're wrapping it up? I think so. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm on a list serve for public defenders in Pennsylvania. And what everyone is talking about today on the list serve, the public defenders speaking to one another, is that we can't get attorneys into our office. Um, Practically every office has an opening and very few to no applicants in Pennsylvania. And I would encourage students coming out of law school or people who are planning a career in criminal justice to consider public defense because It gives you so many um, advantages as a young lawyer to learn to think on your feet, to learn the people skills that you need in meeting with um, your clients, to learn how to try a case, to learn how to comport yourself in court, things that you don't get in private practice. And it's also enormously rewarding. So I would encourage young people in high school, college, and law school to think about public defense, at least as a place to begin. And then hopefully we'll reach a place where indigent clients get the exact same representation as people who have financial means that everybody is treated equally. Yeah, that's a lofty goal, and uh, <laughs> I think we can uh, keep working towards it. But but that's great to uh, to ask people to think about this career because it really is one that makes a difference, and I can see it's been very 
rewarding for you, and, and you've made such a huge difference to the county. Well, thank you. Uh, it's sad to leave. I'm really sad. It's been wonderful here, but uh, I'm, you, I'm starting to think that jury trials are a game for a younger uh -huh, person than uh -huh, myself. Uh -huh. Which, which was uh, actually reminds me of another question I was going to ask you. Who is 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 your successor been determined yet? No, um, not yet. There is a committee of senior management who is interviewing applicants, mm -hmm. and ultimately it is an appointment by the commissioners. Right. And that presumably would be made pretty soon. Well, I'm leaving right. the end of the month, so I'm hoping soon. it will be soon. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Kristen, it's been great chatting with you, and uh, thanks again for everything you do. Well, thank you. Thank you for letting me speak with you today.